you because you are indeed love and you love us. And you demonstrated that love for us through your son, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we gather in his name this morning in this place. We ask you, Lord, that you wouldn't just grant us knowledge, but you would gain us understanding and wisdom and wisdom that leads to action and action that brings people to the goodness of Jesus Christ. So be with us this morning as we continue to worship and we study your word. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Please be seated this morning. We're glad to have you. Thanks for being a part of what we're doing here at Common Ground Community Church. We have been going through a series the last couple of weeks called uh, Romans Road Trip, and we've kind of stopped along the way of different places, and we used examples uh, that, that some of us are very familiar with. And this is actually going to be one of those examples I think many of you are going to be very familiar with, and, and that would be the tourist trap. Now, some of you probably know what a tourist trap is, but I did actually define it for you up here. A tourist trap is a place that attracts and exploits tourists, right? It's, it's in the name, right? And right now, if you're, if you're, my guess is you're already thinking about how many times you've been sucked in by the tourist trap and probably have a couple of good examples. Most of them probably start with the world's biggest or the world's largest or the world's longest or the world's whatever, right? And, and, and some of you have been there, right? Like who's seen the world's largest potato? Anybody seen that one? Largest ball of yarn, largest rubber band. The, the largest roadrunner, right? The Jackalope Museum. Uh, perhaps one of the worst tourist traps, in my opinion, would be the Natural Bridge Caverns on Interstate 35. Anybody been there? Don't go. I'm just telling you now, okay? Uh, it, I mean, there's like signs forever. I mean, it's like like Bucky's. You know, you get signs for Bucky's every, you know, uh, 100 miles. You can hold it. Like, I don't know if that's true with kids, but okay. 78 miles. It's, you're almost there. 46 miles, to be, and so when you get to Bucky's, it's like, oh, man, this place is great. Tourist trap, I'm just telling you right now, right? But it's great, I know, I know, right? Yeah, P.T. Barnum said a sucker's born every minute, so no offense, we've all been there. But isn't that really kind of what happens when as believers, we package Christianity as this set of rules that if you follow these set of rules, then everything's going to be just fine. To the believer this morning, I, I simply just want to kind of share with you a little bit that, that when we boil Christianity down to a set of moralistic teachings, when we set it down to a set of rules of, of the thou shalt and thou shalt not, when we get dogmatic about behavior, now listen to me, when we get dogmatic about behavior, we're inviting people to come to the tourist trap and get sucked in and suckered just like we were. You see, it's not so bad if somebody else experiences it as bad as I did, right? I mean, because you've walked out of some of these places and you see the families with the young kids and the kids just can't wait to go in and see whatever it is in there. And the dads are going, yeah, great. And you're walking out going, sucker. That's exactly what we do as Christians when we try to demonstrate God's love means that you have to do this, 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 and this, and you can't do this, 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 and this. And the Bible becomes a set of moralistic teachings instead of the revelation of a holy father who created you with a spoken word and loves you so much he left his son on a cross to die for you. It becomes about knowledge instead of application. 
Last week, we looked at a couple of terms that I want to kind of review this week, and I think it'll be helpful for us to, to make sure we're on the same page. And, and I want to put them up here for you to see that, that, that we talked last week about sin. It's the intentional rebellious act against God's commandments. And grace that we talked about last week was, was God's loving and undeserved favor towards sinful humanity, which is us. Likewise, we, we want to talk about the law this week is a prescribed regulations for living. And, and, and for the context of today, when I talk about the law, I'm going to talk about God's law that he gave to us. Now, there's a difference between man's law and God's law. Because man's law shifts with culture, it shifts with popularity, it, it shifts with, with influence and power that is derived only by influence and power and by man's level. God's law is absolute. And there is something to be said about God's law that is absolutely given to us, and we ought to follow God's law. But, but we also are going to talk about sanctification just a little bit as that process of being made holy, uh, being set apart as a believers. And then we'll touch on it just a little bit of that already but not yet. Like we are already sanctified, we're already set apart, we're already being made holy because of the person and ministry of Jesus Christ, but we're not yet fully sanctified because we've not been glorified and brought back to the Father in completion. And so what that means is in our flesh, sin still has opportunity if we lend it, if we empower it. But because we're dead to sin, we're alive in Christ because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so that any power that sin has over us, it's what we've given it. It's not that it truly has power because we're actually dead to sin and alive in Christ. Last week we spoke of grace and should I, should I experience grace through sin? Because if God really loves me, he's going to forgive me anyway, right? So I may as well just live any way that I want to. And we determine that's probably not the best solution because what we really miss out on is the desire to love God because of what he did for us. The right response to him and his grace, the undeserved, unmerited favor that he pours out on us, is not to do it out of obligation, but to do it out of love for him because he loved us so much. That's a great demonstration of grace. And so this week, we're actually going to go to the other side of that in law. And I want to show you kind of the extremes between law and grace. And I want you to be very, very aware of what I mean by extremes when I say this. And what, what you see, these extremes, is what Paul is writing to the church at Rome in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 especially. And those three chapters ought to be studied together. But in Romans chapter 6, we see grace. And in Romans chapter 7, we see the law. And, and what Paul is actually writing to that church is to say that you Pharisees, particularly, you have taught the Jews that God's law, and by the way, there are 613 of those. God gave one uh, set of 10 commandments to Moses, and then they tacked on another 603 of them later on. And the Pharisees said, the only way you're going to be good at being a, a God-fearer, being a follower of God, because the word Christian wasn't there, because they don't accept Christ as Messiah, the only way you're going to be good enough to go to heaven is you have to follow these laws. And you've got to follow them to the letter, to the iota, to the dit and the dot. And if you don't do that, well, then you've... You're going to have to be punished. You're going to have to do penance. You're going to have to do all these other things to try to clean yourself up on the outside. And they were such followers of the law that they were bringing people in. They were, they were bringing people from outside the Jewish faith in and saying, but you can only go so far because you're not actually Jewish, but we still want you to be circumcised. Well, wait a minute. You mean I, you want me to be circumcised? I don't have full access? No, you, you still don't just because you're not Jewish. 
which is a great demonstration for us to understand that the law often looks on the outside of everything and not on the inside where God looks at us. It would be exactly what Samuel would, would be told is that God's looking at the heart of the next leader of Israel. He's not looking at how tall he is or how handsome he is or how rich his father is. He's not looking at all the good deeds that he did on the outside. He's looking at his heart to see if he really belongs. You see, we get to these tourist places and we're looking at all the billboards and the signs and we're, we're looking on Facebook and Yelp and all these other things. And, and, and I don't know about you, but maybe it's just because I'm, I'm such an optimist, if you haven't already been able to tell already, I, I go to the one-star reviews and I want to know, what did these people miss, right? Like, like what, did they, what did they not get that they would give it a one-star? I mean, that place was awesome. They had rock candy and everything in there. This is what the Jews are kind of saying is like, we're not even going to acknowledge these one-star reviews because everything's five-star through a Jewish lens because we can see it on the outside. It took into no account private sins. It took into no account what happened in the dark. It took into no account the illegal activity that they would have to arrest Jesus himself and put him on the cross. But we see in Romans chapter 6 on the side of grace that grace often is misunderstood on its extreme to have very low standards. What I mean by that is those low standards come into play to say, well, we're just going to be gracious with this person. They're, they're a new believer. Man, they were baptized when they were 9. They're 62 years old for crying out loud. What do you mean they're a new believer? There, there's nothing about that that makes any sense whatsoever. But we're, we're, we're going to exercise grace because, you know, as, as, as Christians, we really shouldn't judge people because that's what the Bible says. Are, are you sure? We, we really, what we have to do is just take one on the chin because we're visitors in this culture and, and we don't need to go imposing our Christianity, imposing our beliefs, imposing our faith upon others, especially because they're lost people and they can't understand. So let's err on the side of grace. You ever use that term? Eventually what happens is that you've watered down things in such a way that even your grace is cheap, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer would call it. Because you miss out on the reality. If the only reason you're even able to, to offer out that grace is because of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And if you demonstrate grace without bringing Jesus' sacrifice into somebody's life, you're actually not doing them any favors. You're just telling them it's okay for them to be irresponsible and giving them a false tourist trap. Oh, God's going to forgive that anyway. You ever been lied to and somebody looks you right dead in the face and said, I didn't really mean to? And you know they meant to. Like, like you could... You could Watch the little wheels turning of how they're plotting to do whatever it is they're going to do, and then demand grace after they got caught. It's conditioned, it's trained. Now, on the other side, we have the law, and, and the law has these high standards. Now, Christian, I want you to pay attention to me this morning. Because I think Paul wrote, I know Paul wrote this to the church at Rome. He didn't write it to non-believers. There's certainly application for non-believers. But Christian, I want you to really pay attention to this this morning. When we talk about the law and its high standards. And, and, And listen, each and every one of us has a high standard of living that we hold others up to, don't we? Come on, my wife's laughing at me. The rest of you can too, right? Each and every one of us have a high standard that we hold everyone else up to. Now, now why do we do that? 
because we demand more out of them than we demand of ourselves? I, I know you want to believe that, but I will, I will offer no grace to that answer. I will bring nothing but the law to this. I do it because I'm already perfect, and I expect you to do the same. Right? I mean, after all, if I can do it, how hard can it be? I mean, if you can't do it, it's because you're choosing not to do it. The law has this set of high standards that perfectly honest Christians, perfectly honest Christians have to understand that when we err on the law instead of grace, and, and I'm not even talking about just finding a happy medium here. That's not the answer this morning. But I'm saying that when we get to such a high standard and we're trying to live up to that high standard, we will fail every single time. And many people will just outright give up. They won't even attempt to live up to that high standard. And here's what it looks like for the life of a Christian. They get angry. They get frustrated. They start shutting things out. They start justifying their own behaviors, particularly their own sins in their own life. They hide those inside thinking no one else can see them. They have a high standard that they criticize themselves in such a way that they're not going to take any of that off anybody else because they don't have to because there's nobody harder on me than me. Eventually, what ends up happening is that their hearts begin to harden, and it begins to harden towards others, and that frustration comes out, and it starts putting that on other people, and we become the judgmental legalist. Those are the great extremes between grace and the law, and that's license to say, God's going to forgive me anyway, and legalism to say, how dare you do that? Don't you know that God did it anyway? And in the very midst of all of that, what we really miss in terms of the law and legalism is that when we start trying to impose behaviors, many of which, by the way, are not in Scripture, we try to impose behaviors upon anyone, especially ourselves, and particularly those outside of the body of Christ, what we miss out each and every time in trying to do that is that we're, we're really, 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 really missing what Warren Wiersbe said. And it's a great quote, and I encourage you to take a picture of this or write it down. He says, the weakness of legalism is that it sees sins, plural of it, not sin, the root of the trouble. If I were to ask you, and I'm, I, don't raise your hand, I need you to struggle with this internally, especially you believers. I need you to struggle with this question here. Is sin just an action or an activity that I take that draws me away from God or violates his commandments? Or is sin a heart issue? Does it get down to the root character of who I really am? Is sin a problem for me as a whole? It's not just something I fall into. Do I rank sins by the activity? Lying, yeah, it's a sin, but everybody does it. So by popularity, we're a democratic republic. Okay, lying's okay in the right circumstances. No, it's the intent behind the lie. Moms and dads, how many times have your kids lied to you and you knew it? By the way, kids, we, we all know. You, you think we don't, but we do. And it's really, most of the time, has little to do with what you're lying about. It has everything to do with the heart behind the lie. It has everything to do with how you view me as a parent that you have lied straight to my face. That you either devalue me you don't trust me, that you think I'm every bit as dumb as you think I am. 
And it doesn't really matter what you lie about. Because in that moment, I don't see the sins you commit. I see the sin that you avoid. And that's just the little ones in your minds. Because all sin separates us from God, including those that fall on the legalistic side of things. And Wiersbe was right because we get it so wrong. We get trapped in this touristic idea. Because in the midst of trying to follow the rules, don't do this, don't do this, don't go here, don't watch this, don't be around those people, don't, 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 don't. In the midst of doing all those things, we invite people into this tourist type of Christianity that has absolutely nothing to do with the call that God has. Nothing. And they walk away burned out, wore out, tired, frustrated, angry, questioning. It's one of the really scary things about poor discipleship is that we somehow tell people that in order for you to belong to the body of Christ, you have to behave a certain way. And if you behave, then we might let you belong, and then we'll determine what you believe. I'm going to tell you something, friend. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he changes your heart from the inside out, what starts to happen is those behaviors change, not because the group norms, the dynamics of the group have forced you into that change. It's because the Holy Spirit that now lives within you is helping you to become more like Christ, that you are already sanctified because of the person and work of Jesus, but not yet sanctified because he hasn't fully came in and taken the flesh away from you. And until that happens, you're going to be maturing in Christ and stop being a tourist, and you're going to start being a tour guide. invite people to this weak Christianity, when we allow other professors of Jesus Christ to live in this place where they don't have to actually own up to the root cause of their sin, but just apologize for their sins, we're doing very little for them in the cause for Christ. And there's nothing about that that's really attractive to someone who is lost as all get out trying to figure out what's going on in their life. Now, sometimes this is masked by certain things that we say, oh, God's got a plan for that. Well, yeah, he's always had a plan for that. But if we err on the side of grace and give them cheap grace and say, listen, I understand that you went out and, and, and you smoked crack and you got behind the wheel, but it's okay. God loves you. Everything's going to be just fine. You know, that may be true. It doesn't excuse that behavior, does it? Well, the law says that you did this and you ought to be locked up forever and ever. And you ought to throw away the key. And you ought not be able to be around this person or that person. You ought to go do all these other things. Oh, but it's their first offense, you say. Oh, they only did this one time. Oh, we can't, we, you know, they were just, they're, they're just an 18-year-old kid. What, what do they know? They're just growing up. Am I striking nerves yet this morning? I can usually tell because you're either asleep and not saying amen or you're not saying amen because the second you do so, you're going to have to deal with it. writes in chapter 6, 7, and 8 particularly in response to a question that hasn't been asked yet. And he's talking to the church and he's saying, all right, I know what you guys are about to ask me. You're going to ask me about the 613 laws that we're supposed to follow, right? So before we get to a place to saying how good I follow the laws tells you how good of a Christian I am, let me go ahead and just answer those questions for you. And for the most part, he's talking to them about the, the law that's mentioned in those passages. 
Now, believers, I want you to pay attention to me this morning. If you've got your Bibles, look at, at Romans chapter 7, verses 6 in particular. Because in that verse, we kind of see the, the opening to the rest of the chapter. And what it says to us is that, but, but now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. legal system is a mess in the United States Uh, on so many levels and it it actually starts a little further back because it 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 looks into our political system which is likewise a mess in the United States and when we start looking at all the laws that are out there we start getting to a place where we say the law says I can so therefore it's not a big deal And, and where that starts to really syncretize particularly in the heart of the believer, is the misunderstanding that we missed last week, especially, is understanding that as a believer, I am an alien here. I'm not a citizen of this country. I'm not a citizen of this world. My citizenship is in heaven. But I have to adhere to the laws that are out there, right? I have to do the things that they say that I can do, but that doesn't mean that I can do the things that they say that I can do. Where that falls into place for for a believer is that a believer is new creation in Christ. And so the laws, the 613 that were out there, they apply to me in a very different way than what they used to before I became a follower of Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish laws, I came to fulfill them. I came to, to set them all completely right. I came to show you the true application of what these laws were designed to do. And so many of you have gotten really good at trying to follow the law that you completely missed it altogether. There's a great book out there called One Year Living Biblical. And in this, a, a, a non-practicing uh, reporter of Jewish heritage decides that he's going to take these, these laws from Deuteronomy and he's going to live them out every day. And he's going to chronicle this and he's going to write a book about this. Now, this is a person who's not a believer. This is a person who's not a practicing uh, uh, the Jewish faith either. He's really agnostic. But he is a writer, and he comes to these amazing truths in this book by following the letter of the law exactly as it's written in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's amazing, some of the stuff. And he misses it. Like, he misses it. He was sitting on a park bench one day, and his friend tells him that he had cheated on his girlfriend. And so he picks up a rock, and he throws it at his friend. Today I stoned an adulterer. You're laughing about that. You're laughing about that. And yeah, it is kind of funny when you think about it. But adherence to the law would say that anyone who has a sexual relationship outside of a marriage, either premarital or intramarital, you take him out and you stone him. And you do so so that nobody else out here errs on the side of grace thinking this is okay. But they got to such a level that they went all over here to legalism and say, yeah, we think we just caught somebody. We're not totally sure, but let's stone them anyway just in case. When we read the book of Job, we would see that Job would often sacrifice just in case his children had sinned. We often look at Job like he's this perfect guy. I think he was a man. He had issues too. But don't we do kind of the same thing on the legalism side? It's because we miss what Romans 7, 6 tells us, that the code that was once written down in stone and read out to the people is now written on the heart of the believer. And believe it or not, believer, 
you know what's right and what's wrong. But the more you keep doing what's wrong with intent, the more you start strangling and choking out the spirit, the less you are sensitive to hear what he has to say. And you bring in a cheap, false grace, and you throw in legalism when it suits you to get out of jail. Believers are free from the law, but that doesn't make the law moot. The Pharisees were absolute legalists, and they followed the letter of the law tightly. They too missed what was going on that we saw last week in Romans 6, that we were buried, therefore, with the Spirit, with Him in baptism. They missed out that we were raised to walk in new life. And that doesn't mean that the law has completely went away. It just means that the laws now take on a different dimension for us. They make different sort of sense to us in their application every day, and they're actually there for us because the laws actually came from God. And so first, I want to look and see what the law does. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 7. We're going to look at Romans 7, 7 through 13. And again, these are kind of the extremes, and Paul's answering to them a question that they haven't asked yet, but he knows it's coming because they're kind of telegraphing their punches. And so Paul's getting to the root cause of these things to say, listen, we don't have time for this. I'm rotting away in prison, or I'm chained up to a guard. I'm any day now going to go see the emperor, and they're probably going to cut my head off. So let's hurry up and get to the matter of things. Let's just don't wait a little bit longer and see what's going to come out of this. And so look what he says in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 through 13. It says, What then shall we say, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, You shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Oh, you said a lot of sin did and sin didn't and everything else. Look, here's, here's what these few verses really tell us. There's a, these three things. I've got them clear for you. What it tells us is that the law reveals sin to me. Let me, let me ask you, have you... When somebody tells you not to do something, can you just not help yourself but want to do it? Come on. I mean, I would, I would pose this to the kids, but they learned it from somewhere, right? Be careful with this. Sin actually comes in us. But through the law, it actually arouses. It comes out. We are rebellious creatures by nature. Listen to that. We are rebellious creatures by nature. The sin nature that is in us that came from one man and Adam is passed on to each generation afterward and afterward and afterward and afterward. It's not just taught, it's caught, okay? We don't just see someone else doing it and getting away with it and decide we're going to do it too. There is something in us that tells us that if somebody tells me, no, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it. Nobody can tell me any different. By the way, it's my right to do so because I'm an American. You can't tell me what to do and what not to do. Not in this house, right? 
It is that rebellious attitude within all of us that has absolutely nothing to do with our nationality, by the way. It has everything to do with us just being human and having the flesh all over us. And the flesh in us is where sin lives. But sin gains its power through the law. And it arises, that sin nature in us. The law in and of itself is not sinful. It's just the law. But the law is not the problem. And it's certainly not the problem just because you don't like it. In fact, the scripture tells us here that the law actually is good and holy and righteous. It comes from God. And so why would God give us the law if we're talking about how the law is, is legalistic and everything else over there? Because the law is supposed to do those things in there. Paul says here that I wouldn't know what was sinful had the law not aroused that in me. I wouldn't know what not to do if someone hadn't told me don't do it. That's, that's ignorance on the other side of that, right? And what God has said, I've actually written that on the hearts of every human being to know morally the basics of what is right and what is wrong. Every single culture will tell you it's wrong to murder somebody. Every single culture will tell you that it's wrong to molest a child. Every single one of them. We don't need laws to tell us that's wrong. But yet, somehow, there are those within societies, whether it be ours or any other, that looks at that law and says, I'm going to see how close I can get to violating that law and not get caught, or I'm going to do it anyway because you can't tell me what to do. This is where we miss out in the legalism. This is where we get to that place and say the law says it was okay. Many years ago in this country, we got to a place where we were talking about legalizing marijuana. Just this week, I actually saw where Colombia, the largest producer of cocaine, is talking about decriminalizing the production of cocaine, believing that if we were to do so, that there would no longer be a cartel need because everybody could produce it at that point, and we would eliminate the middleman. The whole country gets the Darwin Award this year. Because this is evolution at its finest, right? I got a thought. Do you remember all the stuff that we decided was illegal and a bad idea and hurt people? And why was that? Because we didn't make it legal. We didn't make it illegal. People could just do whatever they wanted. Wouldn't that be great if we could all just do whatever we wanted all the time with no consequences? You know how long that would last? 30, 45 seconds tops. Because you are going to do what you want, and I'm not going to like it. And because we can all do what we want to do, I'm going to do something about it. And you're not going to like what I do about that. And guess what? There's no law protecting you. None. The law actually arouses in us this rebellious attitude. And for those who are alive in Christ and dead to sin, they put it in its proper place. For those who are not, the flesh takes over and they use the law to actually sin. It reveals in us who we really are and then it tries to kill us. Because at some point, while we're executing the law to the letter, we get to a place to realize that we cannot keep this up. This is impossible. It is not no human being could possibly do this. And so for the believer who falls on the legalistic side, who gets to that place of saying, well, if I do this, and if I do this, and if I don't do this, and I don't do this, and this then my life is going to be perfect. It will be the example for everybody else. Bad things are still going to happen to you. Why is that? Because we don't live in a world that
that's truly governed by God's law. Uh, God's law is supreme and has authority over all things. And people that don't submit to that, whether they be believers or non-believers, are going to find that the law is going to do nothing but frustrate them to the point to where it's going to bring in death. Uh, Really, and it's said in verses 12 and 13, it says, So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now, what does that mean? It's just simply this. It's if you just take everything and you move to the legalistic side and you say the law says no, God's word says no, God's word does this and this and this and this, this, and all you're trying to do is just comply with the law, just adhere with what the law says, you're missing the intent behind it. You're missing why the law was there to begin with. You're missing that what the law was supposed to do was show us how really bad sin actually is. And once we finally get to a place to where we stop looking at sin like it's just actions that we take instead of the attitude of the heart, an unrepentant heart especially, we start looking at the root problem of sin that leads to death, and we start dealing with that not according to the law but according to grace who comes through the person of Jesus Christ until we determine that sin is not only bad, it's trying to kill us. Until we figure that out, we'll never want to stop sinning. We'll never want to actually do that. Until we finally get to a place to say, God put laws out there to protect us from ourselves. God put laws out there. And by the way, the Ten Commandments, they have really two two, uh, functions about them. One is how we relate to God, and the other is how we relate to one another. Jesus would boil all that down and say, love God and love people. Those are the two greatest commandments that you could possibly fulfill. And if you would follow that law, the law of God, and you would truly love him with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you love your neighbor as you love yourself, then you wouldn't need all these other laws because they'd make sense. But in the meantime, you're skirting the law and you're dancing back and forth and you're trying to find grace in the middle of that when you're out here using the law to actually sin and it's trying to kill you, you're missing out the point. If you would absolutely hate sin to the point that God hated sin so much that he has sent his son to die for you, you might actually stop sinning. But as long as you compartmentalize it and keep it in a place to say, well, sin's just an action, no. It's a heart issue. And for a believer, that's the old self. That's the flesh. You're a new creation in Christ. And the Holy Spirit now dwells within you. And it shows you how to work properly within God's law and not allow sin to have dominion over you and have authority over you. Instead, it's trying to kill you. And so that's what the law does. It reveals sin to us. It arouses sin. It tries to kill us. Law actually proves just how very sinful sin really is. But what does the law not do? These are the next few verses here that I really want to spend some time with this morning. The law does not change you, doesn't empower you, does not set you free. And this is where the legalist is really having some challenges here. Romans chapter 7, verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. A lost person cannot be changed by adhering to the law. Let me tell you that again. A lost person cannot be changed by adhering to the law. That doesn't mean they can't be changed a little bit, they can't be improved a little bit, that that things may not work out a little differently for them. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm talking about, the condition of their soul, is not changed because they've gotten good at following the law. 
Sanctification does not come to the believer through compliance. It comes through obedience. Anybody can be coerced and forced into doing a whole lot of things that they may not want to do. But for the believer, they choose to say, I'm going to follow God's law because in God's law, it reveals who he is and what he's done for me and how much he loves me and how I ought to relate to him and how I ought to relate to others. And it's not going to save me. In fact, it's only going to show me how sinful sin really is. But it's not the law that's going to change me. It's my heart of obedience to follow him. The law also doesn't empower us. And this is actually a great problem that we have in our culture right now is believing that the law legalizes things for us, so therefore it it should be okay. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 through 21, For I do not understand my own actions, Paul writes. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. How many of you have read that before and are just absolutely confused by what it's trying to say? Is that fair? There's, there's a whole lot of things happening in the sentence structure, and it doesn't really matter what, what translation you use. None of them are actually really that good at helping you understand. Can I simplify this for you? I'm not watering it down. I'm not dumbing it down. Can I just simplify this for you? Every human effort, every human effort to be a better person is doomed to failure. And every time you step in and say, you know what? I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm, I'm going I'm to read my Bible more. I'm going to watch less TV. I'm going to put filters on my internet. I'm going to do all these things. Listen, listen, do you hear the statements? I'm going to. Me. I'm going I'm to bury all these things. I'm going I'm to carry the burden of being a better person. I'm going to change myself. Well, then what do you need Jesus for? I mean, seriously. If you can do all those things on your own, you need to be up here. We need to be watching your life and going, how can I be that person right there? You're sinless. You're amazing. How do you not get tempted by the billboard on the way back home every day? How do you not look at somebody and go, man, that's a good-looking person? How, 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 do you, how do you not get yourself in a situation at work where, where you know if I lie, I'm going to get this promotion? How do you not catch somebody that you work with doing the wrong thing? Saving it up for when you need that favor. What Paul is saying is that adherence to the law doesn't make me the best version of myself. Rule followers are not the best version of themselves, by the way. Rule followers actually are kind of just sheeple, to be perfectly honest. God's law by nature is good. It's there for us to help us. And we, by nature, are not good. And if you miss out on that, you miss out on so much of thinking that you can do this on your own. For God so loved the world 
but he gave them a set of written laws and said, if you'll just do this all by yourself, there's not really a need for me to do anything else. I hope some of you make it. That's not how that verse goes. That's not at all how it goes. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believed in him shall have eternal life. Jesus said, teach them to obey all that I've commanded. I will come back and I'll be with you to the very end of the age. The law does not empower us. It doesn't help me do good things. But it does answer this question. How can I do anything good? I want you to answer that for just a minute. What is it about you that allows you to do anything good? You know, I think a trick question is this year. I might ask it. First of all, good by whose standards? <laughs> that's, that's a fundamental problem for most of us, right? I'll make it easy. Good by my standards. Well, some of you are like, geez, that's what I'm good at. Others are like, whew, yikes. Just spitballing here. on him and actually believe it or not it's there to real to help you realize i'm a sinner there's no good in me not any no good deed no good actions nothing about what i do and how i do it can save me this is where the pharisees really missed it this is why it was easy for them to nail him to the cross they literally literally framed him for violating the law so they could use the law against him but yet didn't even have the own authority to crucify him and had to get Roman law to do it. Are you catching all that? We are so self-righteous. We are so good at everything we do that this Jesus, the blasphemer, deserves to be hung on a cross but we can't even do it ourselves. And isn't that just like a uppity Christian to have a sentence poured out for somebody else that you can't even carry out to trap them into this false Christianity that says if you'll just be good if you'll just be a better person if you'll just listen to the rules you know I understand why people don't feel like they belong in church a lot of it friends I don't think it has anything to do with Christians saying, you know what, here's what I want to do. I want to, I want to keep people out of church. No, I think a lot of it has to do with that Christians have fallen into the materialist trap. And they've only got so deep into their faith that they kind of think that they're saved, but they're still trying to do all these things to prove it to everybody else. The last thing I want to do is let somebody from the outside come in and see how really fucked up I am.
chapter 6 and verse 21. Look with me in verse 21. Paul says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Friends, I'm going to simplify this whole chapter for you and help you to understand this. Paul's writing to believers, and he's saying to them, you're not two people, so you have to stop acting like you are. And you have to stop falling over here on, on this, this ultra-grace side that says, oh, it's okay, you're, you're trying, just you work it out. And you have to stop falling over here saying, I'm not good enough because I missed the law, or I'm better than because I fulfilled the law. And you've got to get back to a place to understand that until you are completely sanctified, that the flesh, my members, as Paul would say, is constantly going to struggle with my mind or my heart or the new creation that I am in Christ. And the new creation that I am in Christ is from the inside out because that's where God sees and that's what God changes. And so if the church is struggling with how do we follow these laws on the outside, but our hearts never change, then Paul is saying you're doomed. Evil waits for you. The more human effort, the more fleshly effort that you're putting into trying to be a better person, the law actually is designed to help you fail. Isn't that something? You can try this all day long and try to follow this letter all day long, but you will most certainly fail because the law does not save you doesn't set you free. It doesn't change you. It doesn't empower you. And I'll go back to what I said a little bit earlier. The reason is, is that the law, and this is the thing I want you to walk away with this morning, is that the purpose of the law is to show me how much I really need Jesus. It's to show me how much I really need Jesus. Here's my challenge to you this morning. First of all, you probably don't even know all 613 laws, let alone all of them. And so just for that alone, you failed. But then there are 10 of them that are out there. That I could pay somebody 100 bucks right now to tell them to me in order. And you probably could do that. But then I would really challenge you and say, how well do you actually adhere to those laws? How does it really change your heart? God's not a masochist. He's not a sadist. I've heard a lot of people that think that God sets these unfair things out there. God's a realist. He realizes that we cannot get to him on our own, and so he sent Jesus for us. And the law, most of which, by the way, was adopted by men, came to a place to help us realize that if I want to get closer to God, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do this. Man, this is impossible. This is crazy. You know what I'll do? I'll just go over here and err on the side of grace because God's going to forgive me anyway. No, that's crazy too. You know what I really ought to do? Put my heart to Jesus and submit to him and to let the new creation, the Holy Spirit that he has put in my heart, guide me. That way when I try to get legalistic or I try to use the law on my side, he would show me, hey, listen, if this really would have worked, you wouldn't have even needed to have done this. You wouldn't need my son to die for you. 
And when I go out here and I sin like crazy because I think grace has set me free, it hasn't. Grace is not a license for me to do whatever I want. At the end of the day, it all comes right back down to what my dad always said to me. The sooner you listen to me and do what I tell you to do, everything's going to be a whole lot better. There's a reason why we have laws, and they are good, and they're from God, and they're trying to protect us from ourselves. But at the end of the day, what the law pushes us for is the need for Jesus Christ, the absolute need for him. Because the law actually gains strength from sin. It reveals in us who we really are. It does not save us. Only Jesus can do so. Christians, I want to invite you this morning to really examine your self-righteousness, to really examine your high horse that you get on, to really examine who you wish you were, but you're not, to really examine how that imposes upon others. Do they see the law in you and they're not attracted to Jesus? Or do they see a person who loves God, is doing all they can to submit to Him and follow the rules, not because the rules are there, but because the rules point me back towards my constant need for Jesus Christ. Why do we live the way we do? It's not because we're afraid. It's because we are free. Because of what Christ did for us. And so, Christian, I just encourage you this week, if you catch yourself pounding on the law, well, then run away from that. Just reevaluate it and say, wait a minute. Where did this law tell me about my need for Jesus? How can I take Jesus seriously? Let's pray. Have mercy on us, Lord, sinners. And Father, we mock the Pharisees. We mock the rules of the day. Father, we judge culture from a Christian worldview. We pump ourselves up in such a way that we try to hide our sin nature by covering it with rules and covering it with laws. All the while, God, we're missing out that those rules, those laws, those edicts, it's not about behaviors, it's about attitudes, it's about our hearts. Yeah, the action of lying, the action of stealing, the action of adultery, the action of all those things are bad. 